In 2008, my university rugby team took a two-week trip to British Columbia. I was the only believer on my team at that time. Everyone else didn't believe in Jesus. And as such, I had so many opportunities to share about my faith, not least of which was with my roommate who described himself as a Jewish atheist who loved to debate. And boy, did we debate. In fact, word about our debates got around the whole team because one night, about 10 players crammed into this dorm room that we were staying in, and they began to literally interrogate me about my faith. It was one of the most intimidating experiences of my life. They, they fired off question after question after question, like, how can you trust something written so long ago that makes such ridiculous claims? Or, or how can you even believe that, that, that there's a, a God that exists? Or, or how can you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Or, or hasn't science disproved religion? It was, it was like I was on trial for my faith. And I responded to everything I could with the best answers that I could come up with, but it just didn't seem to satisfy. I have never felt more truly like a believer in an unbelieving world than I did in that moment. My name's Ellis. I'm one of the pastors here at Chapel Hill, and I'm so glad that you're joining us this morning. Whether you're here in person or you're joining us online, I'm going to speak for about the next 25 minutes as a part of our series called Exiles, talking about what it means to live as believers in an unbelieving world. We're working our way through a letter written by one of Jesus' closest followers, a man named Peter. And over the last few weeks, we've been talking about how we as believers are called to be witnesses to Christ in the midst of an unbelieving world. Witnesses as citizens, witnesses as employees, witnesses as spouses, and last week, witnesses who stand against evil in this world. We are called to be witnesses to God in the midst of this world. And many years before Peter wrote this letter, many years before Jesus came and walked this earth, years even before God called a people to himself, there was a man who bore witness to God as a believer in an unbelieving world. And his name was Noah. Now, many of you will know Noah as the man who built the ark for the animals to save them from the flood. But Noah was, was called by God to follow God and God's ways in a world that utterly rejected God. And as a result, God sent Noah into the world and God saved Noah from that world. And in today's passage, we're going to see that just like he did with Noah, the Spirit of Christ is sending us into the world and is saving us from the world. These are the two points I think that we can learn from our passage today. We are sent and we are saved by the Spirit of Jesus Christ at work in us. So we're looking at the last few verses of chapter 3 of First Peter, and I'll be honest with you, I really don't know for certain what Peter is talking about in some of these verses. I know what I'm going to preach to you today is true based upon other verses in the Bible, but I've got to admit, it's entirely possible that these verses are talking about something completely different than what I'm going to share with you this morning. In, in fact, 
the instigator of the European Reformation over 500 years ago, Martin Luther, he wrote this about these verses. A wonderful text is this, and a more obscure passage perhaps than any other in the New Testament, so that I do not know for a certainty just what Peter means. Now, if even Luther, in his commentary on these verses, wrote those words, I hope you can forgive me if I am wrong in my understanding of these verses. So let me read them to you, and maybe once you've heard them, you can understand some of my predicament. So we're in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I was eight or nine years old, I starred in a musical production of the story of Noah at a local theater. And I I recall rehearsing for this for months and months, learning all the songs. And in particular, I recall the nerves of having to sing a solo in front of a thousand people. Because in this production, I got to play the part of Noah. And I believe that this passage tells us the very same thing. You are playing the part of a modern day Noah. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, Noah was a believer in an unbelieving world. And if you follow Jesus, you are a believer in an unbelieving world. Through Noah, the spirit of Christ proclaimed the reality of a coming judgment and a salvation from it. And through you, the spirit of Christ is proclaiming the reality of a coming judgment and a salvation from it. God was patient during the time of Noah, allowing time for people to be saved from that coming judgment. And God is patient today, allowing many to be saved from the coming judgment. Finally, God saved Noah from that judgment by means of the ark. And God will save you from the coming judgment by means of your faith through baptism. You are a modern day Noah. The Spirit of Christ has sent you to the world and he is saving you from the world. And I believe all of what I just said right there is true regardless of what this passage means. Because what I just said is supported throughout scripture. But I also believe that this is likely what these few verses are teaching us, that you are a modern-day Noah. You've been sent to the world, and you've been saved from the world. Now, you might ask, how on earth do I see that in this 
passage. Well, let's take it verse by verse, and I'll walk you through it. The first verse that I read to you is relatively straightforward if you've been around the Christian faith for any length of time. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Some family friends of ours used to go to England soccer games with this big banner, and they would hang it off of the edge of the stands so that it could be seen by everyone in the stadium and the TV cameras. And on it, in big letters, it said, Jesus took the penalty. Now, if you know soccer, you'll know that a penalty is the easiest chance for a team to score a goal. But really, this was a bit of a play on words based upon what this verse and many others say. Namely, we are all sinners. We have all fallen short of God's standards. And we all deserve the penalty of that sin, death. But Jesus took the penalty on our behalf. He died the death we deserve to die. And following that death, Jesus rose again to new life. The final words in the verse, they say, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. They speak about that resurrection to new life, but they can give some people some trouble. And so let me explain what I think Peter is really saying here. He's saying Jesus died in the realm of fleshly existence, which is this life, and he came alive in the realm of spiritual existence, which is our next life. After his death, Jesus wasn't just a spirit. He had a body. He had his new resurrection body. So he he didn't die in the flesh alone and, and, and then just become a spirit. No, no, he had a body, but he didn't have his earthly body. He he left that, that, that body which was decaying behind and was given a new spiritual body. And so really, we might say it this way. It was like Jesus transferred from one realm of existence to another. He transferred from the realm of the flesh, where we now live, into the realm of the spirit, where we will one day live. Now, I recognize that's a little bit tricky, and I hope you've been able to track with me through that. But let me be honest, it's the next few words that cause us real problems. This is what Peter writes next, verse 19. In which, that is, in the Spirit, he, Jesus, so in the Spirit, Jesus went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. Now, I'm going to tell you what I think this verse is saying, and then I'm going to go back and show you how I got there. So I think this verse is saying that Christ, in the realm of spiritual existence, preached through Noah hundreds of years earlier to the people who were alive at Noah's time and are now in spiritual prison as a result of their disobedience. That is, Jesus preached through Noah like he's hopefully preaching through me right now to the people who were alive at the same time as Noah and who are now in the prison of hell. You tracking with me? Let me help you a bit more. One commentator, Wayne Grudem, he offers this translation of the text. He, he says, this is how we should translate it. In the spiritual realm of existence, Christ went and preached through Noah to those who are now spirits in the prison of hell. 
This happened when they formally disobeyed, when the patience of God was waiting in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Now, how did I get there? Well, whenever you come across a passage in the Bible which is unclear, like I think this one might well be, you allow other passages in the Bible which are clearer to interpret it. This is a a basic principle of biblical interpretation. Allow clearer passages to interpret unclear passages. And I think that there is clear biblical evidence to suggest that Christ preached through people before he came in the flesh in the person of Jesus. For example, earlier in the first chapter of Peter's letter, in verses 10 and 11, Peter writes that the Spirit of Christ was speaking through the Old Testament prophets. More than that, Peter, in his second letter, calls Noah a herald of righteousness. That word herald is the same root Greek word used in the passage we're looking at today, where it's translated as proclaim. And so I think, based upon this and based upon many other places, there is good grounds throughout the whole of Scripture, outside of this passage in particular, to say that Christ, in the spiritual realm, preached through Noah to those who were perishing. And so, if this passage is saying this, then it would be in line with the rest of Scripture. However, I would be amiss if I I didn't mention that some people think this passage is teaching something completely different, which is, I don't think, found anywhere else in Scripture. And, And many believe that this passage is teaching that after Jesus died, before he ascended into heaven, he went and preached to the fallen angels in hell, to the demons in hell. Now, while this passage could definitely be saying that, and I want to be clear with you, it could well be saying that, there's nowhere else in the Bible I can find that says Jesus went and preached to fallen angels in hell. And so I just feel a little bit unsure about using this one passage, which is already grammatically difficult to understand, to say something we don't find elsewhere in Scripture. Now, honestly, I've had to move very quickly through this, and there is a lot more that could be said. In fact, if you want to read more, we've got a link in the weekly guide to an in-depth article which argues for the point of view that I'm putting forward today. But, But in short, I think this passage is saying that Christ preached through Noah to the people alive at Noah's time who are now in hell. And as I said at the beginning, I believe that Peter is trying to use this to tell us something very important. Remember the context of the whole of this letter. Believers in an unbelieving world. We are witnesses to Christ. Just last week, we read the verse, be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. I think Peter is, is using this illustration of Noah to try to tell us something, to say, you are like a modern day Noah. And in the same way that Christ preached through Noah back then, he is preaching through you today, which leads us to the first thing I think Peter is trying to teach us in this passage. You are sent to the world. 
Earlier, I shared about my experience being interrogated by my rugby teammates about my faith. Or finally, after almost an hour, it got to a point where someone asked the question, Ellis, how did you become a Christian? And although I hadn't been able to speak more than two or three sentences all night long without being interrupted, at this point, for a full three minutes, there was silence in the room. They listened closely as I simply pointed my finger to God and told them what God had done in my life. They refuted everything else that I said, but they did not refute my testimony of how God had worked in my life. I was living proof of God's salvation. And God was there in that room. I'll never forget it. And I'll never forget what came next. One of my teammates was an ex-professional rugby player. His name was Anton Oliver. You've probably never heard of him, but he captained the All Blacks, who are the most successful side in world rugby. And he asked me this. He said, how old are you, Ellis? I said, 19. He said, I have never heard a 19-year-old speak with such boldness before. And I knew that that boldness that he was seeing was not me, but the Spirit of Christ speaking through me. In the same way that Christ preached through Noah, he now preaches through you and through me. Not just in the pulpit on a Sunday, but on a Monday, on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday, and every day of the week, in our any and everyday lives. God has sent you into the world so that in your words, in your actions, as you live out your faith as a believer in an unbelieving world, that Jesus can preach through you that Jesus can make his power evident in your life in a way that everyone around you can see. And all you need to do in order for this to happen is submit to his Holy Spirit at work in your life. You are a modern day Noah. You have been sent into the world so that the Spirit of Christ might preach through you, through your words, through your actions, through your very life. That is the first thing that Peter teaches us in this passage. You are sent into the world. There's one more thing I think he teaches us. And that's this. You are saved from the world. Now, I wish the difficulties in interpreting this passage finished with verse 20, but they don't. Verse 21 is a tricky one as well. Let me read it to you. Verse 21 says, baptism, which corresponds to this, that is, corresponds to the ark that Noah built. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In a few weeks, we're going to be hosting another baptism service. And I love it when we get the tank up here and we, we fully immerse people 
as a sign and a seal of the faithfulness of God to us in Jesus. And baptism is, is a picture of what took place on Noah's ark. Noah's ark saved people through the waters from the coming judgment. And a baptism does the same. Through the waters of baptism, we are saved from the coming judgment. When we go down into the waters, we die with Christ. And when we come up, we are raised to new life in him. Just as the ark saved Noah, so baptism saves us. But does baptism literally save you? Like, that's what this passage seems to say. It, it says baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Well, again, let's use that principle of interpretation we talked about earlier. Let's let the clear passages interpret the unclear passages. Throughout the New Testament, again and again and again, we are told that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. Perhaps the best example of this comes in Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The New Testament says again and again and again, our salvation is not something we do. It is something God does to us. Salvation is an act of God, not an act of our own. So what does this passage mean when it says baptism saves you? Well, if you read the next few words Peter writes after that, it actually becomes a little bit clearer. He, he says, baptism saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Peter says that it's, it's not the physical act of water coming over the body that saves us. It's, it's not the cleansing of the dirt in the act of baptism. It's, it's not that action in and of itself that saves us. Instead, he says what saves us is an appeal to God for a good conscience. It's the faith that accompanies baptism that saves. Our appeal to God is what saves us, not the water of baptism. In baptism, we are appealing to God and we're saying, God, clean my conscience. I am covered in the stain of sin, but I appeal to you. Make me good again. Give me a good conscience. The act of baptism in and of itself, that doesn't save us. But an appeal to God to cleanse us, that saves us. You know, in the musical in which I played the part of Noah, there was this one song where the chorus line mocked my character as being crazy. It included these lyrics. He says God told him, what a load of baloney. A fool could tell. He is obviously a phony. Because there is no water, we just don't think he ought to. Build an ark, he'll have to park upon the hilltop. Noah was saved, yes, by getting into the ark when it started raining. But more than that, Noah was saved because he trusted God when no one else trusted in God. He trusted in God to save him when everyone else around him was saying, this guy is a fool. Why build a boat if there's no water? But Noah didn't listen to what the people said. 
He didn't trust in the things that they were trusting in. Instead, he trusted in the word of God. The word of God that said, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. The word of God that said, Noah, build an ark. Noah was saved because he put his faith in God. That ark was just the means that God used to bring about his salvation. You are a modern day Noah. If you trust in God, he will save you, just as he did for Noah. Yes, Noah was saved by getting on the ark, but really Noah was saved because he trusted in God. You are saved if you trust Jesus and his death for your sin. And yes, God will use baptism to apply that salvation to you, but the power is in your trust in God, not in the act of baptism. And if you've never trusted in God to save you, I'm gonna offer you the chance to do that in a moment. And if you've never been baptized, I think this passage is an encouragement to go do it. God wants to use baptism in the process of your salvation. And we have a baptism service coming up on May 1st. You can head to chapelhillpc.org slash baptism in order to register for that. So to sum up, This, perhaps the most obscure passage in the New Testament, is an encouragement to us as believers in an unbelieving world. An encouragement to say that if God could use Noah, he can use you. You are a modern day Noah. Jesus has has sent you into the world. He's going to work through you. He's going to preach through you by the power of his spirit. And he has saved you from the world through your trust and your faith in him. And both of these things go hand in hand in this passage, sending and salvation. We're in a season of God's patience. We're awaiting a coming day when he will judge the whole world, just like with Noah. And in this season of God's patience, he has sent you, into the world. And he is preaching through you, your everyday life. The only sermon some people are ever going to hear is the sermon of your life, your words, your actions, the way you live out your faith as a believer in an unbelieving world. That's the only sermon some people are ever going to hear. Make sure it's a good one. So you've been sent just like Noah. And just like Noah, you've been saved through the person of Jesus, through his work on the cross and through our appeal to God displayed in baptism. We are saved from the world. And if you are listening to this and you haven't yet appealed to God for your salvation, I want to offer you the opportunity to do that right now. So would you join me in prayer? Let's just take a moment to be before God. And I wonder which one of those two, being sent or being saved, which which one of those is, is most challenging to you today? Which one has God been speaking to you 
through more. If it's being saved, but you haven't yet appealed to God for salvation and trusted in him, just maybe consider whether right now is the time when you want to do that. If it's about being sent and you're realizing, you know what, I'm not living my life the way the way I should be. I'm not bearing witness to God. Maybe just take an opportunity to repent of that and invite the Spirit of Christ to come once again and submit to his work in your life. And so if, if, you, if you are feeling more challenged by that saved, if you've never appealed to God for salvation, I want to offer you the opportunity to do that right now. And the way we can do that is to pray. So if that's you, in the quiet of your own hearts, pray these words after me. Father, I'm sorry that I have not been living your way in your world. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die for my sins, to take the penalty of my sin. Please send your spirit to transform my life, to raise me to new life in Christ and to send me into this world to preach on behalf of Jesus through my life and words and actions. And if you're here today and you're sensing I'm challenged by this being sent into the world. I want to invite you right now to stretch your hands out in front of you and to invite God to send his spirit to fill you up that the sermon of your life might bear witness to many of the greatness of our God. So Holy Spirit, come. We invite you, fill us now. Send us out. Preach through us, we pray. We are yours, your people who've been saved and your people who've been sent. We pray this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington, 98335. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10.30 a.m. We'd love to meet you. To learn more about Chapel Hill and find out about upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.